I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries, and uh, we're not meeting at a regular time because of the COVID virus. Uh, I started to open up a couple of weeks ago, but when this Delta variant hit, and it's more dangerous than the regular virus, I decided not to open up. We have a few people show up on Wednesday at 2.30, and on Saturday at 2.30, and whoever wants to come in, we allow them to come in, but everybody's not available at that time. I'm not going to open this up until something settles with the coronavirus. I believe the coronavirus is the judgment of God. It is a pestilence. God says when people are disobedient to His Word, He will bring the four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, which is disease, and the beast, which is the world ruling system. You might call it the new world order. I'm talking about demons. I believe demons are nothing but man's imagination. And demons are self. That's what they are. That's what Jesus called them. I I don't believe that any of us really fully understand. You have to go back to the first century. These were people that were very superstitious. They were always casting spells on one another, trying to get a spell removed, going to some uh, soothsayer, uh, and they were living in constant fear of someone putting a spell on them. They knew little to nothing about medicine or science. There were some men working on it, and this is something that really, it began to puzzle me and amaze me, because before I left the house today, I thought, what we need to do is go back and study history and science in the first century. And I went to the internet, And I put in my search engine, uh, history and science in the first century. And that will tell you how the people who were involved in their imagination call these things demons. I'm going to read some stuff to you out of this history and science. The history of medicine. This is on Wikipedia. The history of medicine shows how societies have changed in their approach to illness and disease. In the first century, they thought all disease came by demons, which was Lord Damonion, and that was their gods. Their gods. D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That's what they said these diseases were. And then it goes on to talk about surgical practices inherited from the ancient masters were improved and then systemized in Rogarius, the practice of surgery. Invention of the microscope was a consequence of improved understanding, I guess so, during the Renaissance. That was during the uh, raising up of intelligence in, uh, in France and the Renaissance came about. That was the center of the Renaissance. And that was during the 19th century. The 19th century was from 1800 
to 1900, and that was a long time after Christ and all these people that thought they had demons. And humorism, H-U-M-O-R, H-U-M-O-R-I-S-M. If you watch an old movie once in a while, you'll see some ancient so-called doctor say, this man's got some problem with his humors. And this is what they believe humors are. Let me read that to you. Out of Webster's Dictionary, humor. It's not talking about laughing or being funny. Not the first part of it. It's the Latin humor or moisture or fluid akin to humor, E-U-M-E-R-E, to be moist. Uh, and it has to do with the Greek is hygros, and it has to do with fluid or any fluid or juice of an animal or plant. Any of the four fluids, cardinal humors, formerly considered responsible for one's health and disposition, blood, phlegm, choler, and melancholy, a person's disposition or temperament. And they said that disease had to do with humors. Let me continue in this in this article on history of medicine. And he goes on to say, humorism was brought to explain the cause of disease. And we know that's not true. It has to do with something particular. And it was replaced by germ theory of of disease when they invented the microscope in the in the 1800s medicine was heavily professionalized in the 20th century now let me read you the next thing i've got marked in here mental illness uh, was well known in ancient mesopotamia Mesopotamia is an ancient word that means between the rivers, between the Tigris and the Euphrates, in what we call Iraq, that was ancient Babylon, where diseases and mental disorders were believed to be caused by specific deities, gods. That's what the world called it. And until they discovered by microscope germs, they would blame it on the gods of the ancient world because hands symbolize control over a person. Mental illnesses were known as hands of certain deities. One psychological illness was known as Kot Ishtar, meaning the hand of Ishtar. Others were known as the hands of Shamash, and Shemash is the word sun in the Hebrew. Mesopotamian doctors kept detailed records of their patients' hallucinations and assigned spiritual meaning to them. You could go online to educate yourself, or you can go on there to play games, like most people do. Ancient Egypt developed a large, varied fruitful medical condition tradition Herodotus who was the father of history described the Egyptians as the healthiest of all men next to the Libyans Amen Imhotep in the 3rd century is sometimes credited with being the founder of ancient Egyptian medicine now let me read some other things to you alright 
uh, he talks about medicine in China. China also developed a large body of traditional medicine. They treated people with herbs, and all of the medicine of today comes out of some herbal, uh, uh, some herbal technology. Finally, in the 19th century, Western medicine was introduced at a local level by Christian medical missionaries from the London Missionary Society of Britain, the Methodist Church of Britain, the Presbyterian Church of U.S., and so forth. And then they go on to say, this one doctor, one acting doctor, Proculus, P-A-T-R-O, C-L-U-S, because Mechoin is is wounded and Podalarius is in combat, Europolis asked Proculus to cut this arrow from his thigh, wash off the blood with warm water and spread soothing ointment on the wound. Asculepius, now this is really amazing, A-S-K-L-E-P-I-O-S, A. S K L E P I O S. That was uh, one of the early, early doctors. Becomes God of temples because he was dedicated. And he was dedicated to the healer God, Osculipius or Osculapius. We know Osculapius from the studies that that was the god, the chief god, fire god of what we call Turkey or Pergamos and that was the serpent god and that's where they found the first halos behind one of the ancient gods. And Osculapius was named after a real doctor so they called Osculapius a healer god. And he goes on to say, the attiring figure in history of medicine was a physician named Hippocrates. Why am I reading this to you? To let you know that people didn't listen even to their ancient doctors. They listened to their superstitions and said sickness came from demons which were their ancestor gods. Hippocrates was the ancient H H I P P. O-K-R-A-T-E-S. Hippocrates was, or however they pronounce it, he lived in 460 to 370 B.C.E. That's before the Common Era, before the Christian Era. That was 460 years before Christ he was born. Hippocrates and his followers were first to describe many diseases and medical conditions. The reason I'm reading this is to let you know there were men working on this, and those people lived by their superstitions. They'd walk up to Jesus and say, My son has got a demon. And it was some physical thing or some insanity. And his students systematized the thinking that illness can be explained by an imbalance of blood, phlegm, black bile, yellow bile, and that was humors in the blood. Hippocrates is given credit for the first description of clubbing of the finger 
I guess that's where they tap your knee or something. An important diagnostic sign in chronic supportive lung disease, lung cancer, cyanotic heart disease. And it has got so much, and I can't read all this. It's too much to read. The point is, they bring out that the people attributed their diseases to their gods. And I've been talking about this because the main reason is because you have to know the difference between good and evil. Evil has to do with Satan. Satan doesn't mean anything. It's the word satanos in the Greek. S-A-T-A-N-A-S. In the Greek, S-A-T-A-N-A-N-A-S. That's the word in the Greek. In the Hebrew, it's just the word S-A-T-A-N, Satan. But it means the same thing in both, just means an adversary. We have bought into all of this superstition. Even some of the biggest so-called conservative Bible teachers have brought it bought into demons. There's no such thing as demons. The evil is in men's hearts. And it means an adversary in any language. And the adversary is the same thing as enmity against God. If Whosoever be a friend of the world, friend of the world is the enemy of God. And friendship with the world is enmity. If you're friends with the world, you are Satan toward God. Friends with the world are enemies of God, and friendship with the world is enmity, E-C-H-T-H-R-A. Ekthra is the word enmity, and it means hostile. There's nothing that identifies with Satan or being an adversary. You're an adversary to God if you get along with the world. The whole thing is you have to give up self. I believe men invented demons. Let me just write this on the board. I can't say this enough. I believe men in the ancient world invented the demon. Man invented demons. Invented demons. Because he does not want to have to he doesn't this is very basic he doesn't doesn't want to admit his sin I've made a statement for years I believe the hardest words for a man to say is I am wrong boy I've had to say that in my life God brought me to a point where he was nearly killing me in a hospital stay in my mid 40's and I sat up on the side of the bed and I said Lord I am wrong I've blamed everybody but myself I'd been in 
music business, and I blamed music promoters. I had been in in real estate, and I blamed uh, real estate brokers and real estate agents. And the fault was mine. A lot of time I was trying to play a game I had no business being in. So I believe man invented demons. He doesn't want to admit his sin. And when you start saying, I have sinned, you have to repent of it. When you repent, you have to be ashamed, be sorry for it, own up to it. That's what Jeremiah said. He said, you will admit it. Not only will you admit it, you'll take the blame. You'll be instructed by God. And you will be utterly humiliated for what you've done. I am humiliated. And you'll be ashamed of it. And I am ashamed. But that's everybody that ever lived. Now, I've been talking about you have to give up self. I've got a list of things that I've written down. I made this list a long time ago. And what the world is teaching is not, they're not owning up to self. The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible. You've got two Jesus in the Bible, two of them. I told that to two young men one day and they said, we want to hear this. And so I told him, I said, you got the Jesus of the Bible, of the Bible, and then you've got another Jesus, Paul said. Paul said there were some men coming to Corinth, and they were preaching another Jesus, another spirit, another spirit and they were preaching another gospel and Paul said this other Jesus this other spirit and this other gospel I have not preached he said I'm afraid you will bear with these men coming preaching this other Jesus, this other spirit, this other gospel. Now, we have defined Jesus in the Bible. We have defined the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible, you have to believe him. Believe him and his instruction. You know, it puzzled me growing up. How do you believe Jesus? I believe in him. And I, I didn't know that you have to be obedient to his words. And I was trying to obey him when I was a little kid. And you have to believe him and obey him. If you believe in him, you're going to be obedient to him. The Bible has much to say about obeying the gospel, obeying the spirit, being obedient to Christ. Christ is going to come back and take vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Paul told the Galatians, in Galatians, the third chapter, who hath deceived you? You've been bewitched. Who has deceived you? You should not obey the truth. Well, you've got obedience to truth all through the Scripture. But there's some things I want to bring out. This Jesus of the Bible tells us uh, in Matthew 10, 
and 26. Let's look at this. Matthew 10 and 26. 10 and 26. He's telling us that we have to obey Him. And here in 10 and 26, He says, uh, Fear them not. No, this is 1036. Excuse me. 1036. He said, I came to, in 25, I came to bring a variance between Father, between a, between a man and his father, a daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. Now, that's what Jesus said. A man's foes will be those of his own household. I just quoted James 4 and 4. If you're friends with the world, you're an enemy of God. But the other Jesus says, no, you've got to get along with everyone and like everybody and never call anybody down or call him a liar. I keep asking you, what do you call a man that lies? Well, uh, what do you call a man that doesn't tell the truth? You call him a liar. We'll call him a liar. Call Kenneth Copeland a liar. That's what he is. Then he says over here in Luke twelve fifty one, Luke 12 and 51, he says, he says, Suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from thenceforth there shall be five in one house, divided three against two, two against three. When you preach predestination and Christmas is pagan and God creates evil, this is the response you're going to get. Most people's, most people don't get along with their family that believe these truths. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, and the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he said, a man's foes of the, those of his household. And then he said in Luke 6, look at Luke six twenty-two and 26. I've quoted these over and over again. Luke six twenty-two says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. You're blessed in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the word makarios. Means you're fortunate. Fortunate are you. Fortunate. You're fortunate if men hate you, if they hate you, Jesus said, if the world hated me, it will hate you when you tell them the truth and you live in truth. They will hate you. Your family will hate you. Your friends will hate you. Your mother and father, when they're not, only a few are going to be elect. Few will find the narrow way. Luke, uh, Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says there's a, uh, a narrow way and a broad way. Few will find the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo. It is a form of the word thalipsis, which would be the noun. And thalipsis is the word tribulation. That's the narrow way. That's the well way. And that's what prosper in 3 John 2 means. 
Yehudos, the well way. So, Thalibo is the word narrow. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and only a few will find it. These preachers came preaching another spirit. Well, we've said over and over again, John 14, 15, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, and 1 John 5 and 6, the Bible says the Spirit is the truth. If these preachers come preaching another spirit, it's another truth which is not the truth at all. Truth is the word aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A in the Greek. It comes from the word lanthano, lanthano meaning to lie hid, to hide, conceal. And the alpha in the Greek language is called, when it's used as a negative particle in front of the word lanthano, that's actually what the word truth is. It's lanthano with the alpha in front of it, and it negates the word lanthano, so it means not to hide anything. Well, if somebody is preaching another spirit, and the spirit is truth, then what they're preaching, they're preaching something that hides the truth. They don't take the cover off. I've said this before. The word revelation would be a synonym of truth. Revelation is the word apocalypto, apo, K-A-L-U-P-T-O. Calypto is the word cover. And apo means to remove. So remove the cover means not to hide anything. has basically the same meaning as truth. It means not to hide anything. Well, if they preach another spirit, it's not the truth. And if they preach another gospel, that's a long, long thing. The gospel is the resurrection. And every time except one time in the New Testament, you find the word resurrection, it is anastasis. Anastasis is feminine gender. It cannot be talking about the resurrection of Christ from a grave because being feminine gender is talking about our resurrection daily as the church, the wife, the bride of Christ, the wife or the bride. It's talking about that. Every time you see resurrection except in that 20 fourth chapter of Matthew I believe it is let's look at that back up there to Matthew Matthew 24 but this word in Gero is also feminine gender so it couldn't be It neither could it be E-G-E-I-R-O E-G-E-I-R-O it's talking about the saints that resurrected when Jesus raised from the dead, that the saints in Jerusalem resurrected that day. Let me see here. Uh, 24, no, it's 20. Is it Matthew or is it... Uh, here it is. Uh, when Jesus resurrected, 
they resurrected. Uh, this is in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-three, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. That word resurrection is in giros. It means a resurgence or resurrection from the dead. Now, if you preach, it it tells you who these... Paul said there are certain preachers coming to Corinth and they're preaching this other Jesus and this other spirit and this other gospel. And he tells you who these people are. He, he tells you later in the chapter, go over to 2 Corinthians 11... 2 Corinthians 11. He'll tell you exactly. When men are preaching another Jesus, that's what Kenneth Copeland and Fred Price preached and and uh, even Billy Graham preached the other Jesus. He preached accept Christ when a man cannot accept Christ when he's dead in sin. He cannot accept anything. The natural man does not receive spiritual things. Receive, dekomai, means to reach out the fingers and accept an offer that's been presented. In this 11th chapter of Second Corinthians, here's what he says. This is what these people are. They're messengers of Satan. Kenneth Copeland is a messenger of Satan. So was Fred Price. I don't believe Fred Price went to heaven. He went, He died here a few weeks ago, and I believe he went to hell. I, I don't see how those preachers that don't believe in a daily cross, death to self, and self-denial can go to heaven. So what he says here, he says here in, looks like an ant home here, a gnat or something. Get out, get out of here. All right. Now he says here, in verse 13, he's talking about these people preaching this other Jesus. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. Transform is the word metaschematizo. I put that on the board so many times I can't count. Meta, S-C-H, S-C-H. E-M-A-T-I-Z-O. It means to disguise oneself as preachers of Christ. <coughs> How do they disguise themselves? Well, they, they, they get a bunch of people to follow them. They preach an easy gospel that don't have death to self and self-denial. And they, they tell them, you can be rich if you send me your money and if you tithe to our church. Uh, God will make you, uh, give you houses and cars that you want. It's just not true. And transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed, metaschematizo, into an angel of light. Satan comes disguised as Jesus, the easy Jesus of, of the Bible. It's the easy Jesus is a false Jesus. And these guys come with their nice suits on and they drive a nice car and they go to a hospital and visit people and may pray a prayer that 
That's not a prayer at all. Prayer, prosukamai, means to bow to the will of God. And Jesus said, when we pray, we're to pray, thy will be done. P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. It comes from two words, U-K-E-U-C-H-E, and pros meaning toward. Pros is our word pro. It means to will oneself towards the will of another. Prayer means to bow to the will of God. It don't mean to pray that God will make somebody well. It doesn't mean that because he's got everything arranged according to his will. Now, let me go on here and tell you about some other things that the Jesus of the Bible says. I could go all day long about another gospel. I'll just say, I'll go ahead and say this. In Luke 13 and 3, John came, preached, John the Baptist came preaching the gospel of repentance as it was written in the book of Isaiah. And then he tells you what the gospel of repentance is. The gospel of repentance is, he tells you, gospel of repentance. Excuse me. Luke 13 and 3, John comes preaching the baptism of repentance. Baptism of repentance. And if you'll notice this, that's in Luke 13 and 3. Luke 3 and 3. Luke 3 and 3. I put 13. I don't know what's in my mind. 13. It's not 13. Luke 3 and 3. And it says the same thing in Mark. Mark 1. 1 through 3. Maybe that's where I got 13. <laughs> All right. Baptism repentance. This is the baptism repentance. And it says the same thing in Mark 1, 1 through 3. That the beginning of the gospel, beginning of the gospel, and it says the same thing in both of these chapters. So they will equal the same thing. Here's the, here's the baptism repentance that John came preaching. Prepare ye the way, the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And it's and it says in Mark one one through three, the beginning of the gospel is beginning of God. I can't even spell what I'm writing. The beginning of the gospel. Is prepare ye the way of the Lord, and the and the baptism repentance that John preached was prepare ye the way. The way is the baptism. Way is the word hodos, and it is narrow according to Matthew seven thirteen. 
and 14. It is narrow. There's a narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo. It means to squeeze through a narrow opening like you would be going through some turnstile or something. To squeeze through a narrow opening. And it comes from the word thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. Anybody who preaches a gospel that's not equal to the narrow way or a blood baptism. Water is not true baptism. A blood baptism was a death. Water was a proselyte, a Pharisee baptism. So these two things are equal to each other. Baptism, repentance, is prepare you the way. The beginning of the gospel is prepare you the way. The Bible says so. And the only way is the narrow way. And it comes from the word tribulation. Tribulation. So if these preachers are preaching anything other than the narrow way, and they are because it's another gospel, it doesn't have anything to do with a blood baptism, which is death to self, or daily cross, which is death to self, or self-denial, which is death to self, or drinking a cup, which is death to self. So they're preaching. That's what these preachers are preaching out here. They're not preaching death to self. They're smoothing over the gospel so it sounds real smooth to people. Now, let me give you something else here. The in Luke six twenty two, Luke six twenty two and twenty six, these two go together. Luke six twenty two. Now Luke six is Luke's answer. You've got the Sermon on the Mount. Now keep saying, this is the most famous sermon that's ever preached. It was preached by Jesus, and he preached it on a mountainside, and this is in Sermon on Mount, and it is found in Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7th chapter. Well, Luke preaches the Sermon on the Mount in Luke, the 6th chapter. He relates Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in northern Galilee preaching this message. And here's what he said in Luke. There's two verses I like in Luke. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Blessed Mercurios, they have to hate you. When they shall separate, aporizo, A-P-H-O-R-I-Z-O. It comes from horizo and apo. It means to remove from your company or your prison. Horizo is also the common word in predestinate prohorizo and has the H sound there horizo means to bound they remove themselves from the boundary of light 
So when they separate from you, from your company, and shall reproach you, you're blessed when you're reproached. O-N-E-I-D I-Z-O It means to be infamous. If you are a famous ball player, you're a famous musician, you're a famous guitar player, like that guy that died, Eddie Van Halen, or you're a famous guitar player like like Chet Adkins, or you're a famous singer like Johnny Cash, or you're a famous cowboy like Roy Rogers, or you're a famous musician like anybody you can think of. If you're famous, you're not blessed by God. I could just go down the line. If you're famous like Glenn Campbell was, he was famous during his lifetime, and now 20-year-olds don't even know who he is or what his name was. That's amazing. He was one of the most famous people in America in 1970, 72, 73, 74. Had all these hit records, and people don't even know who he is now. That's amazing. Ask any young kid. Ask somebody 17, 18. You remember Glenn Campbell? They said, who? I've done that. Who are you talking about? He was real famous back 30 years ago. Yeah, but I'm only 17. Now, let's go on here. When they shall reproach you and make you infamous in the world and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, and they're doing it because they hate what you tell them about Christmas, being pagan, and it's paganism, and it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. That's history. That's not an opinion. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice when they do that to you. These four things, when they hate you, when they separate from you, when they reproach you and cast out your name as evil. You write those four things down. When that happens to you, you're blessed. And it's all for Christ's sake. Then you can rejoice. I got something kind of nuts up here. Rejoice and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner did their did their fathers unto the prophets. And woe unto you that are rich. Kenneth Copeland. Bill Gates. Warren Buffett. Woe unto you. Woe is a cry of damnation. O-U-A-I. It's a cry of damnation. Ooh-I is the way you pronounce that. Woe unto you that are rich. You have your consolation, your paraclesis. Your comfort, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-S-I-S. You've got your comfort. That's it. One to you that are full. You've got everything you want. You You don't have any need for anything physical. You shall hunger. One to you that laugh now. You want to laugh all the time. I'm really a very serious man. When I get around somebody who wants to make a joke out of everything, I don't like that. In fact, we had a fellow used to come here. 
he would make a joke out of John three sixteen. I didn't like it when he when he did that. Everything was a joke. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. We're back to that twenty second verse. If everybody likes you and you're the president, oh, do you know that presidents and the guy that loses the presidential uh, election, he's also famous because he's got hundreds of thousands or millions of people behind him. If you're famous and all the world speaks well of you, there's a cry of damnation. But, But people, they don't understand. Just turn on the radio or put on a, a cassette or something or turn turn it on to one of these pop programs, these pop singers. Whenever I see, I don't watch American Idol. I don't watch American Idol. If somebody's got a lot of talent, I say, well, they'll probably get famous, get a contract, then they'll get on drugs about 18 or 20 or 25, and then they'll end up an alcoholic and then they may die young. That's what I think when I see that. I think I, I can't handle that. Besides that, if you get famous, there's no there's a cry of damnation. The cry of damnation is exactly opposite to Aniizo, infamous. I don't watch those talent shows. I think I I've I've been in the music business. It's nothing but, hey, look at me. That's all it's about. Listen to me. Uh, it's all about let me make me a name, isn't it? That's what it's about. One of you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. They told the false prophets, you're good, we like you, you're a nice guy. You're not like Isaiah Jeremiah over here that tell us that Nebuchadnezzar is coming and going to destroy us. Then... And they and here's what Jesus says in Luke twelve, Luke twelve fifteen. I like this Luke twelve. It tells you, tells you about a man who thinks it's got it all together. Luke twelve and verse thirteen. And one of the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Beware. That's a danger. Pleonectes. It means, or pleonexia, this is a, just a variation of the word. Let me erase some of this. Take heed and beware of pleonexia. When you look up this word, it's more than just wanting more. It's wanting more by avarice, any way you can get it, by being devious and underhanded. As long as you can get more, Pleonexia, P-L-E-O-N-E-X-I-A. Pleonexia, it's a form of pleonectase, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S, which is the common word covetous. 
And it means to want more. Now here's what can happen to you when you want more. It means to desire, be eager for gain through extortion, greediness, or avarice. That's as bad as you can get. I'll get it any way I can. And he goes and tells the story. Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? I don't have enough place to put all the things that I possess. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there will be, I will bestow my fruits and my goods. I won't share them with anybody. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. You're not even going to get to build the barns. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that leth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Well, now, Jesus, the world says, Blessed are ye when you have things and stuff. When you... The world, the Bible says, they suppose in 1 Timothy 6 and 5, the other Jesus, other Jesus, Here's what 1 Timothy 6 and 5 says. They suppose that gain is godliness. They suppose the more you get, you'll hear Kenneth Copeland say, Why would God give me all this money if he's not blessing me? God's giving him enough so he can't repent of it. You think Bill Gates is blessed by God just because he's worth $130, billion, somewhere in that neighborhood. I used to say he's worth $60 billion when he was worth $60 billion. But lately he's gone up over $100 billion. And you call that a blessing? He's got more money than any he can repent of. And... The guy has got to be crooked. You can't come up with $160 billion. You can't come up with $160 million without cheating somebody. In fact, I looked him up on the Internet one time, and he supposedly stole uh, windows from one of the other guys, and somebody asked him, said, did you steal windows? And he said, blank and blank, sure I did. I've heard him say that on the internet. It's like he doesn't care if you cheat somebody. I got a younger brother that way. You know what I believe about those people? I've been thinking about my brother this way lately. I think that he is a sociopath because I've watched my brother hurt people. I've watched him hurt me and hurt others. And he won't give me any recognition 
when he makes it up the ladder and he used them to get up there. That's what you call narcissism. It's people that are narcissistic. Narcissus was a Greek god, and he was so much in love with himself. He looked at himself in a pool of water, and he was so in love with himself he wouldn't leave the pool of water. He saw his reflection in it till he finally starved to death. And that's the way people that are narcissistic or sociopaths. I looked up sociopaths on the Internet, and they said it was someone who they might feel a little guilt for hurting somebody, but it's not enough to stop them. They will hurt people to make headway and to get up the ladder of success. I think my brother's that way. I believe he's a sociopath because he didn't care who he's hurt. I could tell you stories about him, but I'm not going to do that. Now, so, where were we? Let me go over here. And I, the Bible says, they suppose gain is godliness. Well, let me look over there. That's one of my favorite sections of verses. I say that about a lot of areas. But when it comes to, in in First uh, Timothy... 6 1st Timothy the 6th chapter here are these people if any man in verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1st Timothy if any man teach otherwise isn't that the other Jesus people they're teaching otherwise than the real Jesus otherwise is the word heterodidoskaleo Hetero. D I D A S K A L E O. Didaskalia is the word instruction. This would be the word instruction. And hetero, we say a heterosexual, is the other sex. So this means other instruction. If any man preaches another instruction and consents not to wholesome words, every time Paul uses that, wholesome, it's the word hugiano, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. Hugiano means corrupt or something that's not, and he doesn't consent to something that has no corruption to it. He's preaching something that's corrupt. <coughs> Hugiano means uncorrupted. So he won't consent to these wholesome words. He consents to corruption. And that's what the other Jesus preaches. Then he says here, then he says here, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, non-corrupted words, is the words of Jesus Christ. So that's the other Jesus that they're preaching. Something that's corrupt. And to the doctrine, to the didache, which is the word instruction, which is according to godliness. Eusebia. A-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. Eusebia means the resurrection scheme. And that has to do with the gospel. Resurrection. 
scheme of things. And the resurrection is the gospel. The Bible tells us that. The gospel. And there has to be the resurrection daily of you and I because we have to take our cross daily. And then he says, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ to the doctrine which is according to godliness, this man that preaches this other Jesus is proud. To follow. It means to be slowly consumed. Consumed. By a smoke. With no. Fire. Boy no fire always reminds me. Of the word adokimos. A-D-O-K-I-M-A-S and a dokimas dokimas means to try or put in a fire that means to be tried in a fire the alpha privilege negates that means no fire so this could be a dokimas could be could be parallel to this word Tufao and Tufao comes from, it means to be conceited. Conceited when you have no fire, you're not burning out the impurities in your life. It means to be conceited. It comes from Tufos, T-U-P-H-L-O-S. It means to be blind. So these preachers who preach some other doctrine, they're blind And then he says, they are proud, knowing nothing. That's what these other Jesus preachers are. They don't know nothing. That always reminds me of the scorpions because they come out of the bottomless pit. Except it's not the word bottomless pit. That is a terrible translation. The word is abusos in Revelation 9. The, the scorpions, which are false teachers, S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S, scorpios is the word scorpion. In the Greek, much of the time you'll have a noun and a verb form of the noun. The verb form of scorpion is scorpizo, S-K-O-R-P-I-Z-O. That is the common word that Jesus used when he tells about the parable of the good shepherd uh, the, in, in John 10 he said the hireling the man that preaches for money doesn't care anything about the sheep he allows the wolf to come and scatter the flock that's the verb form of scorpion scorpizo scatter so scorpions have to be false teachers and they come out of the place out of a bottomless pit. They come out of... It's, it's, I don't know why the translators translated bottomless pit. It's a stupid translation. It's a dumb translation. A-B-U-S-S-O-S. Abusos. It's our word A-B-Y-S-S. Abyss. 
an abyss it's it's very figurative you have to understand figurative language it comes from the word bathos or bathizo b-a-t-h-i-z-o and that's the word over in first corinthians the second chapter when the bible speaks of the deep things of god it means something with great depth of knowledge when you place the alpha in front of the word bathos or bathizo it translates over abusos it means a place of no knowledge the whole key to that is that the only people that had knowledge of God in Israel the only people that had knowledge of God was Israel on the eastern end of the Mediterranean everybody else was a place of no knowledge that was a place of the Gentiles that's a place of no knowledge so the scorpions come out of a place of no knowledge just like a dokimos just like this they're proud they are conceited that's the people that preach the other Jesus I haven't gone into the other Jesus to this degree they're proud they know nothing they're doting about questions and strifes of words strife is the word makia M-A-C-H-I-A and we get our word macho from that they're fighting you over words over Greek words people say we don't need the Greek the English is not a sufficient language to use in the scripture everybody can get a Strong's Concordance and everybody can get an interlinear Bible and I can show any sixth grader how to use them it's a shame that Preachers haven't come along to show people how to use a concordance during their studies. Or how to use... It's got every word in the Bible listed in it. Here's a concordance right here. You know how long it took me to memorize all these words that I've got in my head? 30, 40, 50 years. Looking at these every day and night. And it's... I didn't learn these quick. I didn't look at the words one time. I didn't look at abusos one time. I didn't look at uh, tufao one time and tuflos one time. I look at it over and over and over again. And it's got every word in the Bible listed alphabetically. And it's got, if you don't have a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, get one. And this is where I get these words. It has a number beside the word. And sometimes it'll have, like the word ordained, it'll have many different numbers beside the word ordained in the Greek. And and if it's a different number, it's a different word. You look it up in the Greek dictionary in the back, look up that number, it'll tell you how, how it's pronounced. It'll tell you the definition. It'll give you a lot about it. And that's where you start. This is a starting place. To get an interlinear Bible, it has the exact words in it. And I'm not going to go into it right now, but it'll have the 
Greek word on the top line and have the English right under it. And I don't even understand, I don't even agree with the English words in the interlinear. I look up the Greek word, I use the English word to locate the Greek word, I write the Greek word down and I ignore the English word. Because I don't trust these translators. None of them. There's so many mistakes made in the King James Bible. But the King James comes from the correct text, the Texas Receptus. That's why I use it. I've spent years studying textual criticism. I don't believe in any translation, but I do believe in the Texas Receptus over the Westcott and Hort text, which is where the NIV comes from. don't believe that at all. I believe the text is receptive where we get this King James Bible. I use the King James, but I give you these Greek words because bottom of fist doesn't tell you what the truth is. That's a stupid word. But why did they do that? Half those translators were Roman Catholic. That's why the chief translator was Lancelot Andrews. He was a Roman Catholic. I didn't. I don't believe in those translators. One guy I've had several people say, "You, well, you need to write your own Bible and translate it for yourself." If I had the time, I would. But how you can you take a word and say the word is not bottomless pit? It is the word abusos, and then it's construction of bathizo or bathos with the alpha privy in front of it means no knowledge, and that was everybody in the Mediterranean except. But see, the Mediterranean was called a pit. And being a bottomless pit, there was no knowledge of God throughout the Mediterranean world until God opened the door to the Gentiles in Acts 2. That's what it's talking about. I can see why they put bottomless pit, but it's just a terrible translation. And then he goes on to say, all right, this man's proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes. He's fighting you over words. Whereof cometh envy, phothonos, P-H-O-T-H-O-N-O-S. It means rotten. These men have rotten thinking. Their, their thinking is rot. That's what it is. When you don't go by the words and you have no knowledge and they have strife and railings and evil surmisings, they they just think something is what they think it is. And they are perverse. It just good night. They they they're perverse. It's the word para dia trube. Para para dia trube. That's the word perverse. Perverse is a good word. It sounds like it. It means their meddlesomeness, they're misemployed. They really don't know what anything means. They are perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. These men that teach otherwise, that teach the other Jesus, 
they are corrupt of their minds. The word is dia. Dia. P-H-T-H-E-I-R-O. Fothero is a form of phothanos, meaning rotten. It means utterly rotten thinkers. That's what it means. They're just completely rotten in their thinking, ruined in their thinking. The people that preach the other Jesus, that's Copeland. That was even Billy Graham. That's Charles Stanley. I'd rather watch anything. I'd rather watch, uh, uh, what's his name, the sponge, Spongebob. I'd rather watch Spongebob than watch Charles Stanley. He is boring. Boring. I'm not boring. I'm going to give you some information every time I get up here. He's boring. He just moves on his chair. He used to stand up and put his hands together. And I heard him say one time on the radio, He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that he might give us an opportunity to choose him. That's not what it says, Charlie. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Not that we may, he might give us an opportunity to choose him. There's no man that understands. There's no man that seeks after God. There's none righteous. If God does not preordain himself a family and put faith in our hearts, and that'll be a few, then nobody's going. Now, let me finish this up. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, thoroughly rotten noose, thinking, their noose is, that's the word mind. N-O-U-S. They're thoroughly rotten. And then he says, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Get away from it. Withdraw means it's imperative command. It means to get away from those people that preach like this. Their minds are completely corrupt. And then he says, but godliness with great gain is, godliness with contentment is great gain. Men that suppose that money is godly, they've really got a twisted view of things. That's like saying if you're poor, you can't be godly. I was raised poor. I've gotten out here and worked. I've worked my brains out since I was young. I've been the hardest working man you've ever been around when I was young. I would, at one time I worked for this ceramic tile warehouse and the manager would send me down to the union hall to pick up a bunch of workers and I'd go down and pick them up. And I was 20. And these guys were huge, muscular guys. And they'd be six foot one, six two. They'd just have muscles bulging everywhere. And we'd get down to some freight car. And I'd say, which end do you want, any of you? Well, we'll take inside the, inside the 
the boxcar or you take the part down here and we'll take the boxcar and they'd feed me these things and I'd be stacking this stuff faster than I could feed it and all of a sudden I saw him taking off I said where y'all going I'm just a 20 year old just a kid I weighed about 138 40 pounds and they said we're going to take a break and I just kept going I worked I worked hard everything I ever did when I sold real estate I worked around the clock and there's nothing wrong with that you should be that you should be that conscious to whatever you do do it with all your might do it to the glory of God do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that's what the Bible says all right but godliness with contentment is great gain they suppose so we're talking about that other Jesus as compared to the Jesus of the Bible they say get all the stuff you can that shows you that God's blessed you that's just not true now in the 10th chapter of Luke the Bible says the Bible's talking about riches 10th chapter of Luke or you can go to the 10th chapter of Mark it's going to have the same story 10th chapter of Luke how much time do I have Mike? 18 18 boy I'm not getting very full on this I may do some more of this alright see these people have the demon of self they want to distribute fortunes the other Jesus says God wants you to be rich and that's just not true if I really believe that I would go to Bangladesh where there are millions of people laying in the streets and starving to death or I'd go to Calcutta India where there's millions laying and starving and I just walk up and down and say all you got to do is sit with your mouth and believe it next week you'll have a new Cadillac you believe that that is such Jesus said I came to preach the gospel to the poor to the broken hearted to the bruised bruised means crushed throw T-H-R-A-U it means those who don't have anything that's what Jesus said I came to the poor tokos p-t-o-c-h-o-s to the emptied out of self look here in 10 and verse 21 and that our Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said I thank thee O Father Lord of heaven and earth that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent of this world. Prudent means to be looking out for oneself. And hast revealed them unto babes, because he calls us babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me, my Father. And no man knows who the Son is, but the Father, and who the Son Father is, but the Son and him to who the Son will reveal him. That's the only people that's going to know God. That word reveal, apocalypto. And these people that preach the other Jesus means to remove the cover. Jesus has to remove the cover from our eyes in order, and he has to give us seeing eyes and hearing ears in order for us to know God. 
in verse in verse twenty one of of not of that chapter. He tells the rich young ruler in Mark ten twenty one, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And I had a guy write me and said, if you don't sell all that you have, you're not Christian. No. The reason he told the rich young ruler, sell all you have, it's quite a story. Look over there in Mark 10. Everybody has a sin that besets them. Whatever that sin is, this rich young ruler, he had great riches, the Bible says, and he didn't want to give up his things and his stuff. And he asked Jesus, Good Master, Jesus, why are you calling me good? If I'm good, I'm God, because there's none good but God. If you really believe I'm a good master, then I'm God. And he says, here in... I'll get over to it in a minute. Well, that's Matthew. I'm not, I'm supposed to be in Mark. Okay. In Mark 10. There's this rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And Jesus said, Well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, number one. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed my youth up. This one thing he left out. Thou shalt not covet. This was the man's besetting sin. And if you have a besetting sin... Said, Lord, help me to overcome that. So he told the young man, give away all that you have because you love your stuff too much. What he's saying, whatever sin sets you, conquer that. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your left eye offends you, cut it out. And he's not talking about literally plucking out an eye or cutting an arm off. He said, whatever it is that offends you, and that you can't handle, get rid of it. And that's when he said, the young man went away sad because he had great riches. Now, the world says, pile up riches and treasures on earth, and that way you'll be godly. God wants you rich. That's what the charismatics say. Even a lot of the Baptists say, if you tie to our church, that's what God wants you to do. In Matthew 6, Matthew 6. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is a, one of my favorite sections of, of Scripture. When Jesus is talking to the apostles, He's talking to the people on the side of a hill in northern Galilee. And He says in verse 23, well, well, let's look at 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your treasure's in the bank, that's where your heart is. 
If your treasure's in your house or your car, that's where your heart is. If it's in your money, that's where your heart is. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, single haplotase means to be looking at one thing. You cannot have double vision. That's dicostasis. D-I-C-H-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. That's a double-minded man. Dico means two. Standings. Stasis means stand. If you got two standings in your life, you want Jesus, but you want your money at the same time. When you give up self, you don't give away everything you've got, because if you did, you'd have to find you a grass skirt and go stand in the weeds. And then when somebody come along that needed your grass skirt, you have to pitch it to them and make yourself another one. And if you, I've had people say, well, do you believe you should buy a new car, buy a new Chevrolet, but don't go out there and put yourself in debt for a uh, $125,000 Mercedes that's worthless. At least you can drive back and forth to work. If I give away everything I've got, I wouldn't have a decent car. I could drive to church in. I could go around and preach to people in. I don't, I haven't bought any of my cars. I bought the pickup, but Mary wanted it. She's the one that bought the Mini Cooper. I didn't buy it. She, I've been blamed for the ministry. You bought your wife a sports car when she had a little, a little Miata. I did not. I ain't going to buy her a car. She's got money to buy her own car. Her mother left her about $25,000. Her mother was poor. And when they sold her house and whatever she had, she got about 25000 So she went out and bought a $12,000 Miata. We had one guy come in here, and he said, your wife's trying to make a statement. And he drove a $28,000 Buick, and she had a $12,000 Miata. What are you talking about, boy? It's stupid. And I never bought her any car. She had a little... She has to have a little sports car because she can't see over the steering wheel of big cars. She's four foot six. You get it? <laughs> Good grief. She bought that Miata. She had a 914 Porsche. She did not have an expensive Porsche. She gave $3,000 for the little 914. It was really pretty. But we never drove it in the battery run down. We never drove the Miata and the battery run down. I said, we need to get rid of it. So she bought this Mini Cooper. She can't see over the steering wheel. After she bought it and paid cash for it, and after we had it sitting in the garage for about five years, she said, you need to take the Mini Cooper. Let me take back the old Rav 4. I said, whatever you want to do. I take whatever she doesn't want. That's what I drive. If she told me tomorrow... I want to start driving that, and you drive this. I say, okay. It's whatever she wants. I don't drive anything. To me, cars are from getting to here to here, not for showing off. Now, they used to be for showing off when I was in real estate. But when I've been preaching this message for as long as I've been preaching, I don't want to show off anymore. Now, where was I? 
No man can serve two masters. Verse 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other. You will either love money or you will hate money. Or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon means money. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you eat, what you drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Isn't life more than the thickness of a stake or the quality of a stake? Or isn't the body more than an expensive sport coat? I wear these shirts, colored shirts that'll show up by this whiteboard. I don't wear any of these during the week. I've always got on a T-shirt that says predestination is true. I believe it is in the Bible or God does not love everybody or Christmas is pagan or the reason the World Trade Center came down is because this was celebrated Christmas 3,000 years ago under another name. I wear those shirts all year round. And if it's cool enough, I'll take them off when it's cold. So people can read them. It's my way of witnessing to people. Now let's finish this. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, when it says they sow not, it's talking about they don't have a spinning wheel and sow their garments. They, And they don't sow in the field for their food. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit? A cubit was the length from the elbow to the end of the hand. Can add one cubit to a stature. If we can, we'll all sit around in a circle and say we're going to count to three. And on three, we're going to worry for Jesse and Teresa. One, two, three. Ah! And see if we can change your situation and get your heart problems fixed and get whatever problems you have fixed. But that that's not going to help. I can't grow an inch taller. I'm five foot seven. And I can't grow an inch taller by worrying about it. Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they, how they grow, they toil not. Neither do they spin. Excuse me, I meant spin a while ago. On a spinning wheel. They don't spin their clothes on a spinning wheel. God gives them their clothes. Yet I send you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Wherefore, wherefore, if God will so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven with the sun burned up, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of Oligospistus, puny faith? Therefore take no thought. Take no thought. Merim nao, do not, do not be concerned with the things of this life and set the things of God aside. M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. Same word as take no thought for your life earlier in the chapter. It means to be distracted of the, from the things of God by the things of this life. Take no thought. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or wherewithal shall you be clothed. 
For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and that's spiritual Israel, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Boy, the charismatics use this and say, all these things in the world. That's not what it's talking about. The the subject is food, clothing. That's the subject. And that'll be taken care of. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. And sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There'll be enough evil to go around when tomorrow gets here without you worrying about it today. Jim Brown. <laughs> I thought I'd add that on there. Because I, I don't worry much, but once in a while something will cause me a pain. Jesus said, and the world says, you're godly if you have everything. And as long as you are in general idea of things, God doesn't mind. Uh, just believe in another Jesus. That's all they say. In John 14 and 15. I'm just giving you some stuff. I'm not completing this. I may come back to this. Because that's the demon in us is wanting everything that Jesus doesn't want in us. Demon demonion means to distribute fortunes. These are the fortunes that men want in the world. In John 14 and 15. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask is the word I tell. That's a conditional word. Well, the charismatics use that to say you can ask God anything. No, you can't. Whatsoever you ask, you receive if you keep his commandments to do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Keep to the commandments are written in your heart and you guard them against loss. You will fight for them. You may not be able to do them all, but you'll say they are true whether you like it or not or whether I like it. And do the things that are pleasing. E-U-A-R-E-S-K-O. This is a favorite word. Ask, A-I-T-E-O, is a favorite word of the charismatics. They say you can ask anything you God wants, and whatsoever you ask when you pray, believe, you receive, and you'll have it. You, Eurusco, comes from you, meaning well-pleasing, the thing that pleases God, Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How do you present your body? On a daily cross by telling people the truth, and they crucify you. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. H-C-C-E-P-T-A-B-L-E. That's a form of the word aresco. It's the word arestao, and it means well-pleasing. What pleases God is death to self. You cannot be asking God for something you want fleshly. You can never ask for self. Jesus said, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Make sure others are taken care of and not yourself. I've got 
about five pages of these things. If y'all want to stay here for up to four more hours, I can finish them up. I run out of time. I'll come back. This is about demons. Can you see that? Demons is self wanting to distribute fortunes to self. And they invented demons. They invented them because they wanted, they don't want to repent of the flesh of self. All right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I thank you for the people that want these truths. They don't want self as much as they want the truth. Lord, it's hard getting rid of self. You said the only way that can be done is with your word. So when we speak the word, the only people that will get rid of self are the elect of God, the vessels of wrath, or the vessels of mercy which you have to for prepared to glory. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll cause us to continue to bow to your will in everything we do. God, fight all of our battles. We've got so many. I've got so many I can't take care of. Thank you for truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. That's interesting about... I never thought until I left the house. About 30 minutes before I left the house to look up these things on the Internet about medicine and in the first century, medicine and science. They'll tell you they attributed all of their sicknesses to one of their gods. There's no demons out there. The most evil thing in the world is a man. I mean, what could be more evil than Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or some of these serial killers or the Green River Killer? I believe the most evil thing in the world is man's heart. And these politicians are proving that. Man's heart is as evil. I just, I can't believe that these, I can't believe that people actually believe in demons. I can't believe John MacArthur believes in them. I've been in Pentecostal churches all my life when I was young. And they said they had demons and wallowing in the floor and There ain't no such thing as demons. They're just... And even these... The medical community will tell you that they attributed that to their gods. Repenting of self is the most hard... It's the most difficult thing in the world to do. Huh? If God don't deal with you, you won't. Who would want to do that in your own flesh? Who would want to run to the sawmill? Well, if God will stick you in the hospital like He did me, and I'm laying there for days, and I sat up on the side of the bed, and I thought I was going to die, I said, God, you're going to kill me if I don't stop doing what I'm doing. Turning's hard. Huh? Turning's hard and impossible. It's, I just believe it's so hard to repent. You don't want to. 
drunk. You gotta be ashamed. Well, it's fun. I mean, you know, that's right. That's your nature. Yeah. That's our nature. Is our flesh, and the flesh is the demon.